today's uh, today's little talk has got the best title ever that I've ever come up with. Um, and it's called this. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Easter Sunday, but it's called this. Goodness, gracious me. Goodness, gracious me as a title for a talk. I don't think you can get any better. And um, so I want to talk about those three words, goodness, gracious and me. Uh, in the context of Easter Sunday. Um, so hopefully, it's difficult when you get to days like Easter Sunday because you feel like everything's, like when you've been around um, churches for years or you've grown up in churches, it's, it feels like it's, we, we know the message, we know what it's all about. And I suppose what, what we want to see in these kind of times is if there's anything new we can learn or anything we can grab, or any, any new revelation that can resonate with us, that's what we're looking for. So I want to talk about those three words, starting with goodness. Um, I don't know how you feel about when you look at life. Sometimes when we look at life and we think about the idea of goodness or living life well or being good, um, I suppose that that can be our natural approach to how we want to do life. You think about if you had a choice, how are you going to operate in the world with other people we'd probably think well well being good is a good place to start if I can be someone who's known for goodness then um then surely that would be beneficial to other people and that's true um so we think about that stuff it makes sense doesn't it phrases like what goes around comes around if you're good hopefully goodness will come around um Treat others the way you want to you be treated, the way you'd like to be treated. Biblical concepts like that, it makes sense, doesn't it? Goodness should follow um, good acts. Um, it pays to be kind. The whole pay it forward kind of movement is about this whole idea of if we can just harness goodness as a thing, then maybe that could really impact people's lives. Um, and there's a sense that if we do good, then good will happen to us. I suppose it's that that kind of karma principle um, that uh, you des- you you kind of get what you deserve um, in respect. It's that positive kind of karma um, that that people will often talk about today. And I suppose when you think about um, what qualifies you for good things in life, for good things to happen, often it, it hinges on stuff like we sometimes do things that earn the right for good things to happen. We, we are positive, we are kind, we are helpful. Um, we can earn the right for good things or for things in life to happen. It might be that we really invest in something or we subscribe to something and the consequence of that, the byproduct of that, is that, we, um, is that good things happen, that positive things happen. Or it might just be that we generally do good. We, not a do-gooder in a negative way, we are just people who do good and the, the positive byproduct of that is, is uh, good things happen. We, we're qualified by those different kind of things. So when we live life well, we can feel that we are then entitled to a good quality of life. And I think that is, that's one of the things. Sometimes there is this sense of, um, there can be this sense of entitlement that we almost end up feeling like because we've done things well we've treated other people kindly i expect to be treated like that by other people as well and i think there's something about human nature where we set a standard don't we and we just hope that because we've set that standard that other people will will think like that and and work like that 
But there's a problem, isn't there? That life doesn't always work like that. And one of the biggest problems is, as we look at this whole idea of doing good and being good and, and being positive, all these kind of things, that's great. But we've looked at a phrase over the last couple of months where we're talking about the fact that it's not all about me. Life isn't all about me. And if, if the idea of goodness is, is our, us trying to receive good things um, and that we will do whatever we can, we'll tick all the boxes to receive goodness... Um, the problem is, it's not only you in the world, and it's not only you trying to get through the things that you're going through and do the things that you're doing, and, and that complicates things. I was talking to my dad the other day, and we were chatting, this isn't our general conversation, <laughs> but we were chatting, uh, discussing um, the most popular verses in the Bible. Um, now, obviously, there's, there's verses that traditionally have always been the most well-known. But what's really interesting is there's studies now, because so many people read the Bible online and use apps, um, you can see, they can track what, what verses are most uh, liked, shared, highlighted, bookmarked, um, sent to other people, whatever it might be. They can track that kind of stuff. And what it does, when you, when you see the kind of verses that are being sent to the people, it begins to build a more interesting picture of society. So um, on the YouVersion, which is the, uh, which is the, biggest, um, the biggest Bible app um, around, and the Bible Gateway is another, thing, uh, another website where people go to read the Bible, those two have collated their different information. I think YouVersion said that last year, 2018, Isaiah 41 verse 10 was the most liked, shared, um, bookmarked, highlighted passage. And it says this, fear not, for I am with you. That's, that's what pe- most people clung on to um, in, um, in that year. And then the other one, uh, which is through Bible Gateway, uh, which is the one that I hear probably most, more than anything else, is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's probably the verse that I hear quoted and um, spoken, um, spoken publicly more in church than any other. Now, interestingly, um, my, that verse is interesting for me because it's probably the most misquoted verse in the whole of the Bible, that, that it's the most positive and hopeful one, which you can see why people say it. So someone's going through a difficult time, someone's wondering about where they're going in life. It's, it's common that people will go, well, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you. Now, it's true. That is the truth. That is what God believes about us. But the reality is the context that that verse was written in was about a particular group of people who were in desperate, desperate times. Uh, it, was a, it was a tribe who were forgotten, who were rejected, who felt like there was no hope at all. So that was their reality. So this verse is a specific word to a group of people to change their future and give them a hope. So that verse is, is God speaking directly to a particular group of people who had no hope who were rejected, who were forgotten, who felt like there was nothing left for them. And God steps into the darkness and says, no, that's not the case for you. Now, interestingly, what, what we do in, now, in current times is we will claim that verse out of context and, and we'll just say it to anyone who needs a positive message. 
and it, it's not that it's wrong, but the problem is when we when we claim something that is specifically for a particular group of people at a time. It's not that it's wrong to do that, but we're we're sometimes misinterpreting what the verse was actually saying in order to make it fit for everyone. Now, do we believe that God has hope for us, has a future for us? Of course we do. But it's interesting how when you look at the fact that that is one of the most shared, uh, one of the most liked, um, bookmarked, highlighted verses in the Bible, you can begin to see that, that what it's painting is a picture of society that very much mirrors what we've talked about. It is all about us because what we're thinking about is, well, um, people, people who are struggling with fear, people who are just needing that message of hope. We is very much fixing our focus and our eyes on on my reality, my world, what's going on for me. And I need this to be uh, I need this to be better. I need this to be sorted. And. It's interesting when you compare that verse to traditionally what was the most famous verse in the Bible. You used to see it held up in sporting events. Someone would just be sat in the crowd with John 3.16 on a piece of paper thinking, I've done my bit, I've done my bit, I've shared it. Um, but when we, when we look at John 3.16, which was the most famous and known verse, we can see that there's, there's quite a difference. Those other two verses concentrate on us and... I kind of fix our eyes on us and our reality. So I don't want to be scared anymore. Um, so I'll just concentrate on the fact that God um, tells me not to fear or I need some hope for the future. So I'll just think about that. Whereas John 3.16, which was always the most quoted and the most famous verse, shifts our eyes off of ourselves and concentrates it back onto Jesus, which is, is a really key thing. To remember, and, and I suppose the, the problem is, as we go through life, the biggest temptation is for us to make it all about us, for us to just focus on ourselves, because it's our feelings, it's our reality, it's our world. We can't ignore it, but it's really easy to make everything revolve around what we're thinking and wondering about. But when we read John three sixteen, it shifts that focus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I suppose this is, um, this is the mantra almost of the Bible. This is where the, the Bible culminates at this point of, of God looking at the world saying, I don't want it to be like this. I want to solve this problem. I want to bridge that gap. I want to mend the fracture between me and mankind. I want to I wanna make a way for us to be reconnected again. And I'll do that. By, by, by placing Jesus, sending Jesus onto the earth. Uh, and I'm prepared to sacrifice his life so that, that connection can be restored and completely mended. So, that's goodness. Gracious. When we think about that verse, John 3.16, the verse describes the heart of God, his plan to rescue the world and the difference that it will make. It centres around the cross and is all about grace. It's all about grace. God steps in to solve the problem, to mend that fractured relationship, to bridge the gap between him and us. And I suppose if it becomes about deserving God's intervention, then if we're really brutally honest, we all fall short of deserving the intervention that, that God uh, actually does when he steps in. It might be it, it's our attitude that's the problem. 
It might be our perspective is skewed and a bit off, uh, off balance. It might be our behaviour. It might be our habits. It might be our slip-ups. It could be all sorts of things. And I think for every single one of us in the room, there'll be different things you go, oh, man, it's that for me. Um, these are the things that get in the way of us and God. Those are the things that, that, that distance ourselves from him. And the reality is it can never be about doing enough or tipping the balance of enough goodness. And that's, that's sometimes the problem. When we focus on goodness, then we try to almost build up credits in a bank account to enable us access to the exclusive features of that bank account, which is a relationship with Jesus uh, and a relationship with God through Jesus. Um, that if, if it's about goodness, then... The, the kind of credits that we make into that bank build up the equity, but then anything we do wrong takes out the equity. And it becomes this, this really difficult balancing act. And that's how most religions work. It's about can you do enough to earn the right for the, the reward and the benefit? Whereas John 3.16 talks about this whole different plan, this different purpose. Um, where God's going to intervene and he's going to uh, make a way. So it can never be about doing enough and tipping the balance of enough goodness. And this is where grace kicks in. And grace is interesting. It's described in these few ways uh, if you research it. It says here, grace is the opposite of karma. So karma is uh, getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's, that's the key difference. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Another, uh, another explanation says this. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless and the unmerited favour of God. And that's the reality. The, the, the graciousness of God is the thing that kicks in, that says, you know what, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you think, who you are, the way you've behaved. Um, I'm prepared to step in and fill this void regardless of all of that mess and all of that rubbish. And for each of us, it'd be different things. It'd be tiny little things that, that to be honest, in our kind of, uh, sometimes in our own self-reflection, we go, yeah, hey, I've done some bad stuff. Not that bad, but not that bad. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm sure it's forgivable. Other people will be absolutely gripped with shame in their life that says, I feel so unworthy. I don't think I would ever deserve to be uh, given this second chance by God. And, and that's because we all look at life differently. But grace levels that playing field and says, do you know what? It doesn't matter. You could be the worst of the worst or you could have maybe, in your opinion, hardly ever done anything wrong. Actually, it's just level because grace kicks in and just says, do you know what? It doesn't matter. There is, there is a relationship that can be had because of what Jesus did. So the outcome of being saved um, is undeserved. We can't do enough to earn that intervention. And it brings us to the final word, me. So goodness, gracious, me. It's not all about us, but it is all for us. And that's the thing. We can talk constantly about how life isn't all about us. We've got to think about other people and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is what happens at the cross and what's described in John 3.16 um, it isn't all about us, but it's all for us. It's for you, it's for me, and it happens for that purpose. We are intrinsically unqualified 
for all of this stuff. We talked to you about what qualifies you for things in life. Well, maybe you subscribe to it, maybe you invest, maybe you do good things, um, maybe, um, maybe you work at something. Well, actually, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to connection with God and relationship with God, there is nothing. Um, you, you start at a point of being entirely unqualified, but it's through connecting with Jesus, accepting uh, who he was, uh, what he did for you, and joining um, him and, and, and agreeing to follow him. That's the thing that suddenly qualifies everyone on that level playing field to, um, to step forward. The cross makes that way for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we talked, haven't we, how we, this concept of eternal life, we've sometimes boxed eternal life into being, oh yeah, you know, the afterlife. Because obviously um, we're all going to, like when we die here, we're going to go on somewhere else. Yeah, that's all true. But eternal life, often in Bible times, wasn't talking about the afterlife. It was talking about getting the best life for you now in the here and now. So that's why we don't just talk in an eternal concept, uh, concept, uh, context and always think about life beyond this world. What we're talking about is if we connect with God now, we can have the reality of the best possible life in the present because we're doing it uh, with God in the way that he intended life to be lived. So obviously it will be even better in eternity, but eternal life, the best life, is available for us now and that's why we keep trying to tell people about it because we want people not only to get to eternity but we want people to live their best life now and uh, that's why we do it and uh, Romans 8 we looked at this a few weeks ago Romans 8 35 to 39 um, reminds us of of this whole idea of qualification for heaven it says this can anything ever separate us from Christ's love does it mean he, lo- he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Um, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Now, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is the reality. We can't be people who are fixated. I mean, goodness is great. Let's pursue being good people. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But if we ever think that being good is the thing that will qualify us to, uh, well, well, surely God loves me because I've done loads of good things. That's not it. We're missing the point. So, yeah, keep doing good things because I think God calls us to be good people. But actually, it's the graciousness and the grace of God that kicks in, that means that you could have done, been the best behaved person for your entire life and someone who's done all manner of awful things gets accepted in the same way that you do. That's the reality and that's because grace is a powerful, wonderful thing that's available to all of us. And as we just read, nothing 
can separate you, whatever decision you make in the future as you wander through life, as life becomes really challenging uh, and life changes and it's difficult, still that remains true. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So the cross shows us that no amount of goodness can give you the connection with God. No thing that you do, think or have done in the past can ever separate you from the love of God. It was all for us, is the reality. And he loves us that much that he would go through those things. And today we remember that. We fix our eyes on that because um, resurrection uh, changes the story. Good Friday is an interesting day. I, I sometimes think we, we focus on Good Friday so much through the lens of Easter Sunday that we forget what desperation there must have been. If you'd stood as a follower of Jesus and seen him crucified and seen the skies go black and the curtain torn in the temple, I don't know about you, but I think I would have just lived in fear <laughs> off the back of that because it's a pretty dark and gloomy thing and, and the person that you'd look to for leadership and guidance is gone and has been has been killed in, and in, in that present it looks like he's been defeated man that must have been a dark dark time so good friday is a, is a special time for us almost to empathize and put ourselves in that place but we live in the hindsight of we can see that three days later um Jesus was resurrected, came back to life, and, and the whole story changes. But it's important not to be flippant with the fact that actually it was still a desperate time. Jesus still went through horrendous things to pay the price to enable us to have that connection. Um, but actually now we look, we look at it through this context on Easter Sunday of seeing actually that, that everything Jesus said in his life had substance, had foundation, and was found to be true, and it was proved true on the cross, as, as that tomb was, was empty, and we saw that he was no longer dead, we, we can see that there was significant power in what he was saying, and it's the confirmation um, of everything that he talked about and everything that he stood for. So that's the truth for us, and I hope that today we get moments to really embrace that, um, but for me, I want it to be something that strengthens us moving forward, that whatever goes on in our life is yeah, it's historical, but also it's continuing. Whatever goes on in our life, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That relationship is there for you to enjoy and, uh, and sometimes to, to navigate tricky times um, in the knowledge that he is there for you. He sent Jesus to die for you and we can be confident that he was prepared to do that because he loved us that much so let's pray father god thank you uh for the cross and everything that that means but god we thank you uh for the empty tomb we thank you that you were able to uh come back to life you were you were able to defeat the powers of death and and the message for us god is that that same reality is true for us that death isn't the end. That resurrection shows that it's not over. That there is hope. There is a future. Uh, that there is life. Um, and God, I pray that even in those times where we're struggling to see uh, this reality, God, I just pray you give us a glimpse of you. 
and it would remind us of, of uh, the power um, of this story and that you would um, you'd help us to be people who fix our eyes on, on the plan and, and the work of Jesus and the difference that that makes for us rather than just default to thinking about us we would think about you and we think about Jesus and we would be strengthened and inspired by that. So uh, be with us today and uh, help us this week. Amen. Amen.